Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm Jack Luke, and today I'm joined by good friend and esteemed colleague, Tom Marvin. And today we're going to be bringing you a quick fire roundup of the hottest bike tech news to land on Bike Radar HQ this week. We're going to kick things off with the new Santa Cruz Heckler SL, a new lightweight e-bike from everyone's favourite Californian-based brand. Is it Californian? Yeah. Uh... Yeah, we'll go with that. Californian. America. <laughs> America. <laughs> uh, the new Wahoo Kicker Move, which is a new wibbly-wobbly smart trainer just in time for falling leaves here in the Northern Hemisphere. We'll hear from Ash Quinlan, who spoke with Specialized about the new Roubaix. And finally, we're going to hear Tom's, I don't know, a, a, a teaser, a spoiler alert for his thoughts on the classified power shift internal gear hub. hub. Never mentioned on the podcast in the past, but... My review's just gone live, so we might as well talk about it. Absolutely. So we'll kick things off with the Santa Cruz. And Tom, I'm going to pass over to you here because I can see you've taken very in-depth, oh. very professional notes. I, I I tip my hat to you and your professionalism. <laughs> I have a page, a full page of notes in red pen 
Wow. Yeah, it's that important. Uh, yes, uh, Santa Cruz have joined the midway, mid-powered e-bike game, joining the likes of, well, there's plenty of them out there. Uh, Lapierre have had one for a little while. There's uh, Mondraker have got uh, the new Neat. Uh, there's the new Pivot. Uh, shuttle SL. There's there's, lo- there's loads of these bikes around at the moment. It's and a sort of emerging category if you want to be it generous. It is. It is an emerging category and I think when we come around to our bike of the year, I think we should be looking at full fat and midway e-bikes Ooh. as two separate uh, categories. But... It won't be me testing them, so I can just spout whatever I want about that sort of stuff. Um, now, Heckler SL, yes, SL is that moniker that comes out with every mid-weight, low-weight bike, super light. 150 mil of travel paired with a 160 mil fork, and it comes with Fazua's Ride 60 motor. Now, the Fazua 60 mo- Ride 60 motor is becoming more and more popular. It is a really lightweight, uh, efficient, uh, and quiet motor, so I can see why it's popular. Very discreet as well, it looking at the bike. Very I mean, discreet. It, it genuinely looks like just a regular unassisted yeah, bike. Totally. It looks, it looks, it's classic Santa Cruz uh, with their VPP lower link linkage design. Comes with a 430 watt hour battery that is integrated into the frame. Uh, you can't remove it, and that is kind of why it has that low profile shape. So the motor itself, yeah, uh, 60 newton meters of torque, which is fairly punchy for a lightweight motor. 450 watts of maximum power, but obviously there's a continual power output of 250 watts, which it cannot exceed. Uh, it comes with three modes. Now, I love the thing I like about Fazer, you know, everyone's like, Turbo <laughs> race. Uh, Fazu have gone down the breeze, river, and rocket, which I, I think is kind of cute. I always remember years ago they did a firmware update and they called it the Black Pepper update. <laughs> <laughs> a little spicy, spicy motor. <laughs> it's <was> really good. <laughs> so it's quite. I actually really like the Fazu motor. I think it's really nice. There's like a little ring controller by your grips, and there's a top tube display to show you all your power and all that sort of stuff, which has a USB C output, so you can charge your phone while you're riding, which is lovely. Going on to the bike itself. Now, I, I'm not oh, going to interrupt. Actually, go on. I want to rewind a little second mm. you, you you dropped in there non-removable battery mm-hmm. what, what does that actually mean tom does that mean as it sounds or does it mean like if you remove the bottom bracket and the motor system and all that sort of stuff then you can uh, remove the battery. yeah okay i think i i mean i imagine if you remove the motor system and unplug the whole thing but it is not designed to be removed yeah. out on a day-to-day basis like a lot of the batteries are um so that means you're going to have to charge it in place in the bike Mm. Um, which might be a bit of a pain if you store your bikes in a shed or, or a garage or something like that without electricity. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'd be, it, I'd be astonished if it won't be the case, but if it was like glued in there, yeah. it's not going to be that. Okay, okay, you had you had my alarm bells oh. ringing for a second there. There we go. But yeah, no, um, I, I, I think it is designed to be left in the bike for the life of the bike. Back to you, Tom. Sorry for rudely quite interrupting. Right. That's quite all right. Quite, quite all right. So yeah, moving on to the bike itself, um, there are going to be five sizes uh, and five options ranging from £6,699 to, it's a Santa Cruz, £11,999. <laughs> I mean, Santa Cruz is hardly alone in that regard. They are not. I, re- I remember when I was a young lad, Tom, mm-hmm. and a £10,000 bike was headline-worthy yeah. when we were, when we were no young longer. boys. No longer. I think now a headline-worthy bike would be £14,000. Yeah, 14, At that point, 15. I'd like, I'd write... It's expensive. Mm. International pricing is to be confirmed as of this morning. Um, interestingly, all the builds are all SRAM. There are no Fox options 
maybe that's not that interesting. Um, and obviously, it comes with. The <laughs> I think that's interesting. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't do yourself a disservice. <laughs> and the frames obviously come with the C or the CC carbon. There's there's more details online about the differences, but basically, slightly higher weight, but the same stiffness and and ride qualities, but just for a bit cheaper for the C versus the CC. Do you want to hear my spicy opinion on oh, this? On, my yeah. black pepper opinion on this. Do it. Why would you buy a lightweight carbon e-bike? Like literally, what is the point? For the sake of what? Re- I don't know. I'd have to check the mm-hmm. actual numbers. But let's say at the very, very most, mm-hmm. half a kilo. Yeah. But that is really generous. Yeah. What difference does it make with a bloody motor? I I am going to put it out there that Santa Cruz will sell every single one of the top line bikes uh, yes, <laughs> with no difficulty. <laughs> I just make sure it's definitely the bike or sorry the brand. I see most of out on the trails, certainly here in Bristol. I know it's always been the case. Everywhere. Great cachet as a brand. Mm -hmm. They've done a a good job. They've done a good job. Dads with expensive uh, Volkswagen vans. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of of disposable (laughs) income. Love a Santa Cruz. (laughs) I wonder what the equivalent in the US is. Uh, US readers, why don't you email? What's the equivalent of the uh, Volkswagen Transporter T6 Mm. in the US? Is it a big Ford Raptor pickup? Um, What does your classic Santa Cruz rider do? drive uh, our email address is I don't know podcast I... at bikeradar.com let us know are we bullying is no, this bullying I'm, I'm genuinely interested <laughs> I'm just bitter because I've only got a caddy <laughs> so the bike itself 150 mil at the back 160 mil at the front VPP suspension linkage as you would expect the geometry is decent but it's not exactly extreme uh, 64 degree head angle 77 degree seat angle reach uh, rear centers between 444 mil and 451 mil on the biggest bikes and reaches ranging from 430 32 mil all the way up to 523 mil. Um, on the frame details, the only point I would like to make is that that VPP low link design does mean that you need a little window in the sort of the lower frame architecture in order to see the sag um, of your shock. No, oh, yeah. Um, and speaking from experience, it's such a pain in the ass to get to see oh it's just and to get you if you're trying to push that o-ring up the shock shaft it's so unergonomic <laughs> oh yeah i see what you saw i'm actually having a look through the footage now so as we're annoying. talking i mean oh, i understand so like the the shock position and the suspension kinematic etc is so important for how a bike rides but the level the little livability if you're a bit of a faffer and you like to set your sag up properly it is irritating you made reference to a score uh, bike with a fully integrated shock as mm. a potential for a long termer for your uh, for yourself next year. So I look forward to reading similar <laughs> criticisms for twelve months because that's going to be even more hassle, Tom. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> well, as ever, the full details on this bike are in the podcast description. Santa Cruz Heckler SL over on BikeRadar.com. Moving from the great outdoors, we go to the the, the muggy indoors. <laughs> it's not really the great indoors, is it? <laughs> and that's the news of the new Wahoo Kicker Move, which launched uh, this week. In brief, it's basically the Wahoo Kicker V6, but it includes integrated rails, which allows the whole system to move fore and aft mm-hmm. by up to eight inches. Not a new concept. We've seen trainers in the past integrate a degree of like We'll call it purposeful movement, I suspect. Mm. Uh, the likes of the kin- Kurt Kinetic Rock and Roll was the, probably the best known um, option back in the day. That brand, I think, is no longer producing 
I think I'm going to double check that, but uh, the brand no longer producing smart trains, but included a sort of pivoting mechanism where your bike clamped in would allow the bike to sort of wiggle fore and aft, but also the likes of the Be Cool, Be cool Smart Air Light, which was a strange sort of hanging chrysalis mm. of a smart trainer and would allow the, the whole system to sort of wiggle back and forth. For, 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 for clarity here, I imagine these movable or these moving turbo trainers to give a side-to-side swing. Are you saying they, they have a forwards and backwards swing? And how does that work? So, je- so you're right. The ones m- mentioned, the kinet- Kurt Kinetic one and the Be Cool one, they allowed sort of, we'll call it a side-to-side wiggling. This Wahoo's different in that it purposefully enables fore and aft movement, so mm. forwards and backwards. Now, Wahoo has always integrated a degree of sort of lateral flexibility into its trainers, usually through sort of more flexible feet. But this one is fore and aft. And Wahoo claims it brings a giant leap Oof. for comfort and realism. Nice. I, I'm sort of intrigued, to be honest. Like, I, I personally can't imagine the mechanics of this because, like, surely fore and aft movement relies on your bike... Being able to, yeah, like it or can. the front wheel rolling forward and backward. Just to me, I can't quite imagine it. But they claim in, in kind of increases uh, indoor realism. You know, essentially the ride feel feels more natural and less fixed. Do you think it's like you know when you go to the gym? I don't know if you ever go to the gym. I never go to the gym, but I have been to the gym. <laughs> I have once. been in a gym. Yeah, um, you see all these. Um, strong people that like lifting weights or like doing like exercises on one of those like wobble boards where it's like really good for your core. Is, is this the equivalent of that? But, uh, kind of. There's definitely been uh, like wobble boards, we'll call them because that's more <laughs> fun. <laughs> but, like, that have been brought to market from, I think Elite was probably the best mm. known of them, but also Saris. Saris did one. Mm-hmm. It's like a large sort of plywood board which allowed the whole thing to move. And that essentially is just to make the bike feel more active beneath you mm. and less like a eye beam as you're pedaling away viciously. Remains to be seen. We've got one in for re- review. As ever, Simon von Bromley, our unwilling resident smart trainer <laughs> expert, will be will be testing this one out. But back on the sort of initial impressions, you know, the trainer is basically the same as the V6, which launched last mm-hmm. year in terms of internals. Same, same claims around accuracy. The weight's pretty similar apart from the additional um, mechanism for mm-hmm. the rollers and so on. That's pretty much it. I, I, I'm going to withhold judgment until we have had Simon mm-hmm. wibbling and wobbling about mm-hmm. inside on his new trainer. But as ever, if you want the full details on that, head to bikecreator.com. you getting seasick. <laughs> I'll say Simon's explained it far better than <laughs> either you or I could. Um, Wahoo's also brought in the new Wahoo Kicker Bike Shift which they say is a more accessible indoor smart bike platform. Now, for those that aren't familiar, the vast majority of smart trainers rely on you. You bring your own bike. Mm. And you strap BYOB. Your, BYOB. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, strap your bike in. Use that as the basis for your actual pedaling. But a couple of years ago, there was a real shift in the... Well, I don't want to say a shift in the market, but a real buzz in the market around smart bikes, which are more like your like static Peloton. bikes. Yeah, like static bikes you'd see in a gym. Largely, I would say, yeah, vanguarded by Peloton, who really, really kind of entered the mainstream market in a very significant mm. way. But the likes of Wahoo, Tax, and others, Watt Bike, of course, the other more longstanding brand, uh, brought out new models, and there was a lot of excitement around them. But all of them 
really, really expensive. Painfully. Really expensive. Very heavy as well. That's mm-hmm. a that's a problem. No one solved yet. But very, very expensive. This new bike is around £800 cheaper than the Kicker Bike V2, bringing it down to still a pretty heady £2,699 or a roughly $3,000. To do this, Wahoo's essentially redesigned the bike, bringing down price point with some new parts and systems. So it uses a new flywheel mechanism as well as a new drivetrain, but there's the more sort of advanced features such as the automatic tilt for gradient shifts. That's been dropped with this bike, and that's what's brought down the price. Tom Marvin, Mm. you tested a couple smart bikes? I did, yeah. Uh, What do you think? I, as a not a big fan of indoor training or training, I actually quite liked as it were. It was a really good machine. I had the one. Obviously, it did tilt. I had um, the OG one uh, of the Wahoo. I also had the stages mm-hmm. a little bit as well. Um, as an like a training experience and a training tool, I actually thought they were really very good. I've never really got on with actual turbo trainers. Mm. Um, there's something about them that I never particularly loved. Where you sort of strap your bike in, and uh, I could never get into. I mean, maybe because I only ever had cheap ones, I never really got them working particularly nicely. Um, but the integration with Zwift and like the tr- the training of facilities that they provided, I thought was uh, they were impressive things. Um, it was hard getting fifty kilos up the stairs on my own because it was the middle yeah. of COVID. I did. I got a neighbour involved actually, and it was just the peak peak covid criminal um, yeah pretty much uh, and we both agreed to hold our breaths as we walked up the stairs um and uh, donned full ppe <laughs> very sensibly of course yeah do you think maybe your experience and enjoyment of uh, smart bikes was slightly blighted by the fact that you were stuck indoors and unable to do anything to be honest it probably saved my um my sanity um I uh, did Zwift, and we had uh, myself and uh, a couple of friends a, a Discord channel, uh, and we would Zwift together. That's nice. Um, peak, <laughs> so like classic, um, classic, classic lockdown. But yeah, I, uh, yeah, I dropped a lot of weight, <laughs> got quite fit, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I did up to like four hour rides on it. It was a horrible thing. I will never repeat. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I have to say, I never really caught the indoor training bug mm. in COVID times. I was very much just keeping it local and repeating in a kind of, we'll call it a meditative way, mm-hmm. smashing around in my stupid fixie. Anyway, uh, the full story on the two new Wahoo products are over on bikerader.com or in the podcast description. Now, we turn to Ash Quinlan, who recently attended the launch of the new Specialized Roubaix. Mm. It's been some time since we've seen the new speciali- Specialized Roubaix, and unlike I would say other specialised bikes, there'd be no hint, not a sniff of a leak. So it's all come as a bit of a surprise to see what Specialised is up to. And to tell us all about the new Roubaix, we have Ash speaking to a representative from Specialised now. So I am joined by Glenn Bennett. Now, Glenn, you are one of the lead engineers for uh, the new Future Shock system, I believe. So tell us about you, introduce yourself to us, and, uh, and, and then about Future Shock. Yeah, my name's Glenn. I'm design engineer on the Future Shock 3, so responsible for this current generation of Future Shocks. Sure, okay. And um, how long have you been working on this latest generation? About three years. Three years? Why such a long period of time to develop the latest generation? Well, being a suspension product, there's a lot that goes on inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the tuning of it, the dynamics of it, which is its whole thing, and then the actual construction and manufacturing of the Future Shock itself. So there is a, a lot that goes on on both dynamics and manufacturing, and then also structure, because this is something that is replacing part of the steer tube of the bike. So it has to support 
the rider and all the loads that the rider sees as well. So quite a long development time on it, but a uh, involved project. And then additionally, we have three levels of it. So it was not just one future shock, it was developing three future shocks. Sure, okay, right. So we're in our third generation now. So the overall term is future shock 3.0. Um, and so how has it changed compared to future shock two? So there are many massive adjustments. Hard to see because really the only part of the future shock you see on the bike is the boot. So the, the seal in the middle and the knob. Uh, but inside it is nearly entirely all new. Uh, we did try and retain some of the parts that were used for reliability, things that we did not need to change or want to change. Uh, for example, in the damper, we kept the oil seals the same as the prior generation uh, and the bushings, uh, things like that. There was, those are proven parts. Uh, so those items stay the same, but the rest of the chassis, so the part that holds you up on the bike is all new. Uh, the damper design is all new. Uh, and then definitely the packaging, how everything is inside the Future Shock is also all new. Okay, so for, to my eye then, it looks like the spring and the damper has been reversed in the design. Can you tell us uh, why you came to that decision and why you've gone down that route? Yeah, so one of our big goals was to add even more tunability for different riders. And when I say tunability, I mean adjustability for more things than just rider weight. Um, adjustability for rider preference, uh, your fit on the bike, your riding style, uh, all of those are things that you can now adjust the future shock for and the basis of that is spring rate. So all future shocks and every future shock bike now come with three different spring rates available to the rider and we wanted those spring rates to be as easy to change as possible. So we put the spring on the top of the future shock rather than on the bottom. So in the Future Shock 2.0, the damper was actually placed above the spring. Uh, and that means you'd have to take out the entire Future Shock in order to change your spring rate. So we reversed that. The spring is now right underneath the adjuster knob. So you can actually change the spring and preload if you want uh, without taking the Future Shock out of the bike, which also means you don't need to change your headset adjustment either. So it's really quick, uh, three minutes or less, uh, if it's something that you've been doing frequently. So something that we expect most riders to be able to do we say if you can change a stem, you can change the preload and springs on a future shock. As far as the levels go, the base model is 3.1. So that really is a direct replacement for the prior 1.5. So that is a spring-based system. There is no damper in it. But you still get the three spring options as well as the preload spaces with, with the bike as well. Correct. Yep. So all of them, same spring tunability. That's a, a big jump up from the prior future shocks. Um, so yeah, you do have 3.1 spring-based system that replaces the 1.5. Then you have the 3.2, which is kind of a new middle range, which has full hydraulic damping. Uh, so you do have a hydraulic damper on the inside. You just don't have the adjuster knob on the top. So the damping profile is fixed at a, a profile that replicates the open position of the highest end model. Uh, and then the highest end model, the 3.3, is the replacement for the Future Shock 2.0. And that has the adjuster knob that many people will be familiar with from the prior Future Shock. But that allows you to then tune the compression damping. And that is actually something that also changed. Uh, the damper style 
is new, or I should say the valving is new. And one of the things that we updated is we decoupled the rebound adjustment from the compression adjustment. So on the prior future shock, you would turn the knob to the firm setting and that would firm up compression while at the same time firming up rebound, which meant that if you did have a big hit and impact enough to travel the future shock, then it could pack down. It could kind of stay lower in its travel. And that kind of goes against that first goal of getting the rider up in the travel so that they have as much travel as possible. We want everybody to make an efficient use of the travel. Uh, so on the new future shock, you do have an adjuster knob that uh, only adjusts compression. So you've got a soft to firm compression throughout the stroke. So the adjuster basically opens up a bypass. So it is allowing the oil to flow through an easier route. And that is what is making the future shock feel softer in the more open positions. And as you close that passageway up, you end up having a firmer damping profile. There's increased tire clearance uh, to uh, 40 millimeters uh, measured, although that equates to a 38C uh, specialized pathfinder tire, I believe, like yep. mounted to a Terra CLX or Terra CL wheel. But there's also aftershock tech. Now that's new, and I know you didn't work on that specifically, but how, how does that differ from what is essentially a suspension system at the front end, uh, you know, with damping and, and a spring load? How is that back different at the back? So aftershock is not entirely new. So aftershock is actually a extremely similar system to what we had in the prior Roubaix. Actually, many of it is actually, many of the components are carried over. So what aftershock is, is a positioning the seat clamp or the seat wedge in this case, lower than where you would traditionally find it on a frame. So when you look at the side profile of a Roubaix and you see where the seat post enters the top tube, the clamp is actually not right there like you would see on a tarmac or an, another bike. The clamp is 65 millimeters below that. And so what that is doing is it is allowing for what in essence is more extension of your seat post out of the frame. So the seat post itself is like a leaf spring. So it is bending. So it is the spring in this case. And we actually tune the layup of the post uh, in order to make the most out of that compliance. And the position of the wedge and the position of the seat post gives you a rearwards and downwards travel uh, at the head of the seat post. And that's where you're getting a lot of the uh, compliance out of the rear of the bike. That's about 18 millimeters. Uh, so you, we want it to be fairly complementary to the future shock in the front. We want the bike to feel balanced uh, where you, it doesn't feel like the front of the bike is super soft and the back of the bike is extremely stiff. Uh, we kind of make it so it works together as a system. So aftershock is just this next uh, installation of the technology that we first used on the 2020 Roubaix uh, on the new bike. Glenn, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Happy. Thanks very much to Ash. As ever, the full details for that bike are in the podcast description. Now, finally, as promised, we're going to give you a little tasty teaser about Tom Marvin's review of the classified PowerShift hub. Now, for those that aren't aware, the classified PowerShift hub is a two-speed integrated gear hub, which is designed primarily for road and gravel use, though there is also a mountain bike one. Yep. And the idea behind it is to replace the function of a traditional front derailleur in a two-by system. Yep. It's way more complicated than that. Of course, expertly explained by Tom Marvin in his review. If you want to kind of find out how the system works, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point you in the direction of the review. We won't dwell on that too long. Mm. What I want to hear from you, T-Marv, 
Is it any good? Yes. Done. Podcast Done. over. Right. <laughs> no, it is It is very good. And obviously there is a huge caveat that it is expensive. So we'll get that out of the way. It's expensive. How Although, much? Uh, it depends how you purchase it. But you're looking at uh, minimum €1,300. Euros. Okay. Um, it's quite a lot of money. If you buy the hub, which you then need to build into a wheel. You can buy it with some like, there's, you know, the likes of Parkours and Hunt um, provide wheels with the hub built into them and classified have their own wheels as well um and you for the classified ones you're looking at about two and a half thousand euros there or thereabouts for a wheel set for a carbon wheel set yeah. you know in the grand scheme of carbon wheel sets that's not actually super expensive no well yeah i mean it is expensive but you know like you, you, could, you, you could spend that on one with a, NVs, yeah. yeah with a you know with a dt swiss hub that mm-hmm. doesn't do anything special go on tell me about the hub though that's um, what i want to hear so the hub itself um it is it is very, very impressive in its operation. So I've ridden most internal gear hub systems on the market. Pinion, uh, Shimano Alphine. Pinion's not um, an internal gear hub, Tom. That's a gearbox. Well, a gearbox, gear hub, you know. You nah, know what I'm nah, saying. No, 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 I'm going to be a pedant. All right, okay. <laughs> I've ridden all the gearbox systems. Uh, so Pinion, Rollhoff, uh, Alphine, they all feel a bit soupy. You know, they can bang on about how, you know, they are 97% efficient or whatever they are. But the reality is they don't feel particularly... Lovely through you, the uh, to, to give you your due credit, you did actually reveal to me that not only have you written an uh, sorry a roll off system extensively, you actually had a custom bike made I, around a roll off system <laughs> years ago. So you've ridden extensively. So it's a fair comparison. Four years of nonstop riding a roll off. I I have to say the efficiency or the feel of the power shift hub is unlike any internal gear system I've ever ridden. Like. I to the extent that when I was riding it, I'd often have like I'd often find myself shifting the hub to work out whether I was in the top or the bottom ratio, because obviously it doesn't. One of my criticisms is that there's no access, there's no integration um, with Garmin in terms of telling you which of the two gears you're in. Um, so like unless you and I haven't set up my access on my Garmin to tell me which gear I'm in on my home screen. So I'd, I, if I didn't look at my cassette to see if I was at the top or the bottom of it, I might not even know if I was in the big or the small yeah, gear. Yeah. It's so like so smooth and so efficient. Now they have claims of it being 99.7%, I think, um, efficient in the in the direct drive and 99. maybe three. In in the lower gear, you would have to check those two other numbers in the review, and they have produced a white paper like properly scientifically measured to kind of prove that. And I can't prove that myself, but I don't disbelieve it. It mm. feels so good. Um, in terms of the shifting performance, it is nigh on instant. Um, 150 milliseconds they claim. I can't measure that with a stopwatch while I'm running my bike. It's really fast. It's it's way faster than a front mech. And yeah, I, it's it, it's just really impressive. You, you can set it up with, um, they have their own cassettes. Their own cassettes are obviously milled to work with Campag, SRAM and Shimano gears. So it's maybe not quite as smooth as the latest drivetrains mm. when you're shifting up and down the block, but it does shift up and down the block under power, like no bother. And there's a range of cassettes on, on offer 10, 11, 12 speed. So there's a wide range of there. So you can set it up so you have a similar range to like a one by system. That's actually, I had it had this, a very similar range to my 1044 SRAM drivetrain that I took off. Um, or you could set it up to have a full 530 mm. percent. So depending on how you want it. So you could have lots of gears in a small range or lots of gears over a wider range. Interesting. I, I do see the appeal of it from a gravel perspective. Like mm. truthfully... I'm, I'm a two-by guy. Mm-hmm. I, li- I like two chain rings. Yeah, I, don't, I don't have a problem with them. And I wouldn't be tempted by one-by on a gravel bike. Okay. J- just because 
I just like having two chain rings. That's really the, the long and short of it. Okay. I prefer the broader range, particularly on the road, where you can stick in the big chain ring mm-hmm. and use gears towards the middle of the cassette. Mm-hmm. What I like about the idea of the classified hub for a gravel bike is that, yeah, you'll get all the advantages of a one-by drivetrain yeah. while still being able to remain towards the center of the block. So you're not pushing the chain into really extreme angles. That appeals to me. Yeah. On the road side... Again, I'm even more ardently two by there. You know, uh-huh. I, I wouldn't be tempted over by one by. However, in a sort of like performance racy situation, as we've discussed extensively, one by you know clearly has its merits because we've seen really big names mm. moving towards one by this year. But with the classified hub, you know, I think that sort of system could bring genuine advantage where riders will still have a broad range of gears and smaller steps with the ability to stay in the middle of the cassette, plus, you know, like the efficiencies of one by the The aero benefits. Yeah, the aero the, benefits, you know, all the... The maintenance of- benefits. I mean, in terms of sort of that efficiency, obviously, like, on a gravel bike, I, I don't think that, you know, if it was like 98% efficient, I think you'd get away with it. Because, you know, when you're riding off-road, you know, your tires are scrubbing around, there's all sorts of inefficiencies in the whole system. But the the classified hub is being built into, a, I think it's a parkour's disc wheel for mm. time trial use. Time trialers will not use. Oh, we've heard Simon Bromley talk about on this podcast. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they won't use kit that has any efficiency disadvantage. You know, it is built around being as efficient as possible. And for parkours, I think it is to be building it a disc wheel yeah. around the classified hub shows really that the efficiency is there. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by the system. However. Is really expensive. It's expensive. Yeah, it's expensive. But you know, we live. You know, we've, we've got a what a thirteen, a twelve grand Heckler SL e bike. Yeah, people, you know, people, will, people will buy it, and I think people maybe should. I would buy it. Like if it wasn't. For, this is going to sound ridiculous, but if it wasn't for the fact that I have some other gravel wheels to test, I was about to hit go on buying one. Wow, fair play. Yeah, yeah. That you know that is genuine, genuine kudos to them. I, I, I couldn't get over the price personally. I think I would for now to buy is not enough of a disadvantage to, to win me over. Mm-hmm. I would be very intrigued to try the system, though. I'll mm. give you that. I'll give you that. One thing I've always really enjoyed and people have not shied away from but have never mentioned when they've talked about classified is that SRAM did this years ago. I always remember SRAM, for it was designed more for um, folding bikes. Right. And Sturmy Archer also make cassettes. Yeah, they do. Yeah, Cassette internal gear hubs. So you can have a two or even a three-speed um, internal gear hub with a cassette on the outside. Uh, but obviously, they, they were more designed to provide range in a smaller cassette for a narrower rear end on a folding bike. That was their purpose. Mm, there you go. How much of my life have I wasted on Sheldon Brown's website reading about Sheldon this? Sort of I haven't heard his name for a long time. Amazing. I still go on Sheldon Brown. <laughs> anyway, as ever, Tom's full review is on the podcast description. It's a really good review. It's very nice. It's kind of, um, it covers all the key points about getting bogged down in soupy details, to use your nice turn of phrase you used earlier. Um, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Bike Radar Podcast. Please, if you do have any ideas, scoops, I don't mm. know, hints, tips, feedback, send us to podcast at bikeradar.com. And don't forget Tom's question around the US equivalent of <laughs> Volkswagen T6. T6. We're very entertained to hear what you think. And, you know, we won't pick just exclusively on Santa Cruz riders. You can no, say no, about no. pivot riders too, or Yeti, you know, yeah. dentist bikes. <laughs> That's worse. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. We'll speak to you again soon. 
Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 